for the reading is from 1 Timothy 4, from verse 11 to verse 16. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thanks, Susan. And then I'd like to invite Rob up. I'll hand over the microphone to you, Rob. And this is, is this the second time or third time? Third time. And uh, yeah, I remember really enjoying your previous sermons and really look forward to this one. Good morning. Uh, the, the verses are 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16 that were just read. But I don't know that we have them on the screen. Uh, yeah, so we have last week's verses for your reference, if, if you remember that sermon. Um, John Polk was here last week, and, and he, it's just great to hear him. He had that whole analogy with the Star Wars fencing and the, um, the gold medal. And physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is of value in all things, right? And, and that was just a, a really great message, one that I was kind of wishing I could preach because I really like the physical training aspect, right? And, and I was going to say, physical training is of some value. Let's talk about that, right? But really, it's about the spiritual training, isn't it? Um, the, if, you have, if you have a Bible, it might be useful to look because rather than frame mine in a clever way like John did with the whole Star Wars and the fencing analogy that gave him a framework, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go straight verse by verse and teach my way through it, okay? I'm, I'm really a, a teacher, not a, not a preacher. And so um, in my literature class, I often have students that have really great opinions after reading the, the novel or the short story or the poem. And I'm like, what do you think it means? And they go, oh, I think it means this. And it means this and it means that. And I'm like, that's a great opinion. Why do you think that? And then they'll, they'll go off on some tangent, right? And finally, I have to ask this question. Yes, but what does the text say? Right? What does the text say? So I have all kinds of thoughts and opinions about all kinds of things. And my students would probably tell you that some of my opinions are really quite opinionated. Um, but you didn't come today to listen to my opinions right? You came to find out what the text says. And I want to help us look at the text and see what it says and see what we can gain from it here in 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 to 16. Verse 11 starts simply, command and teach these things. 
uh, all right, so if this was a literature class and, and, and I said, command and teach these things, my first question would be, what things? Because we're jumping in right in the middle of chapter four, the things he's referencing aren't stated here. Command and teach these things. Well, it kind of leaves a, a big question in the air. What things are we talking about, right? Uh, little audience participation. Who, who remembers the last eight weeks worth of Lucas's sermons and, and John's sermons? What things are we supposed to command and teach? This is not a rhetorical question. You're, you're welcome to shout out some answers. What, what things are we supposed to command and teach? Yeah, definitely last week, spiritual training, right? Fellowship. What's, what is the, what's the central message of all of these songs that we just sang? Why? Why? Yeah, 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 respecting God. Why, why are we here? What is it that sets us apart in our faith? What makes us who we are? I think this is what, and who is that one God? <laughs> okay, right? You, you understand, like, this is the, the great uh, Sunday school story that I like to tell when I'm, I'm talking. I, I teach at a Christian school, right? So I've got an advisory group. My seniors now are ready to graduate after four years. And we have this discussion after our chapel time, and I'm asking them questions. And I, I look at them, and they're all just staring back at me. And I said, I feel like the Sunday school teacher who's holding up a picture of a squirrel. And I'm asking the kids, what is this? And one kid raises his hand and said, it looks like a squirrel, but I think you want us to say Jesus. <laughs> Really, if I ask you any deep philosophical question about who we are, why are we here, what's our purpose in life, what's the reason for our existence, the, the answer is Jesus, right? If we're Christians, we are Christians because of Jesus Christ, right? Christian is, right, your name, but little Christ, literally, right? Followers of Jesus. And so when he says, command and teach these things, this is what we're talking about. These things being Jesus is central to the faith. Our salvation hinges on our relationship with Jesus. And then all of the things that he talks about on the, along the way, don't get caught up in old wives' tales. Don't get caught up in genealogies. Don't get caught up and all these dramas that we get wrapped up in so easily because we like intrigue. We like drama. We like something to gossip about or to talk about. But Paul says those aren't the things that we should be occupied with, right? That Jesus is central to our faith. And, and that's what we've heard over the last several weeks 
culminating with John's message last week about spiritual training is of value in all things and for eternity, right? Because I can be super fit, and Ed, you can win, you know, a gold medal this week. But what happens if you get hit by a bus after the race on your way back home? You still die. And that physical training really didn't do you any good in the scheme of eternity, right? And I do think that physical training has value, right? I like to stay in shape because I feel better and I feel like I can serve God better. But my reason for being physically fit isn't for the physical fitness. It's for the spiritual fitness that the physical fitness enables me to do better. That makes sense. Because the spiritual part is eternal, right? That's what has the value. So when he says command and teach these things, what he's talking about is all of that stuff beforehand, which was the essential components of the faith. And that's what we want to be teaching practicing, all right? In verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Okay, don't let anyone look down on you. How do you keep someone from not looking down on you? Stand up for yourself. As a teacher, when I first started teaching, I felt like sometimes students didn't respect me because I was young. My first day at a new school walking up the stairs, the girls wanted to know if I was a new student. And they were all intrigued because they were hopeful that I was a new student. It's hard to command a lot of respect when the girls in the front row want to date you, <laughs> right? They, when, when they're misbehaving, you're not in a position really to lord it over them because you're essentially the same age. So in order to get them to respect me, can I stand up front and stomp my feet and throw a fit and go, you don't respect me. You need to respect me. Respect me. Right? Respect has to be earned. Right? When, when we talk about uh, respect in young life when we're working with kids, what the, the phrase that we use is earning the right to be heard, right? Earning the right to be heard. And so the message here is don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example. That but, right, connects that first idea to the second. Instead of demanding respect, right, you're earning respect through your behavior. Um, one question I, I want to ask that I think kind of frames this whole book is, who is this book written for? Who's the target audience? Paul is the author. Who's he writing for? Apparently, it's written for Timothy, because it's called Timothy. But as you're, as, yeah, the church, right? That this book is not just written for Timothy, but it's written for Timothy's church. And when you read Paul's other books, particularly I'm thinking of like Philemon, the book that's just a couple pages over, Paul talks to Philemon about a servant, Onesimus, who has run away and now Paul wants to replace him. And the whole beginning of that book, it's a really short book, but it is masterful rhetoric. Right? Well, I teach, rhetor I teach rhetorical writing and speech, and I, I 
I tell students the techniques they can use to persuade an audience. And let me tell you, Paul is the master persuader. When he wants to convince somebody of something, he has multiple ways of doing it, and it's not just directly. So I really believe that Paul chose Timothy because he knew Timothy would be good at leading this church. The problem is the church may not have agreed with Paul's decision. And so this book is written ostensibly for Timothy, but a lot of the things that are said in here are things that Timothy knows, and Paul knows that Timothy knows them, so he's not really saying them only for Timothy. He's really saying them for the church. Okay? So, for example, if I'm having discipline problems in my classroom with a student, and I talk to the principal about it, I can't just tell the student, you need to watch out or else I'll send you to the principal. That may not work very effectively. But if I have a couple of students who are difficult, and I talk to my principal, and then a message comes on over the intercom, and it says, please send George and Frederick to the office, and George and Frederick get up and leave. And 10 minutes later, George and Frederick come back, and the principal comes in with them, and the principal says to me, sotto voce, loud enough that the rest of the class can hear. If anyone else gives you trouble, just let me know, and we'll take care of them. And then he turns and walks out. Now what's the rest of my class going to think? Right? Now the class knows I didn't say anything about it, but they know what the score is. Right? And this is what Paul is doing here. When Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but then, by example, with these five things that he lists, he knows that Timothy is doing those things, that Timothy's life is above reproach. That's why he picked Timothy, and that's why he is discipling Timothy, and that's why Timothy is leading this church. But because he's young, there are people in the church, obviously, who are not happy with that. Okay. So now here's the question. This is a 2,000-year-old book, and here we are in Saikung, and I'm standing in place talking for Lucas, who's not here, and this church is going through some transitions, right? We're talking about looking for a new location, and most of the people that I knew when I came are no longer here because they've gone away, and this is my last year because I'm leaving Hong Kong as well, and there's lots of transition going on, and we have a pastor who, from my perspective, is pretty young, right? Now he's, he's married and he's got a child, which I think is great because now I see Josiah running around. How are you, parents, have you ever had somebody who didn't have kids try to tell you how you should raise your kids? Like, I remember when my kids were little and my sister didn't have kids yet, she had a dog, and my kids are running around and she wanted us to go do stuff, and I'm like, no, I need to stay home because of my kids, and she says, when we have children, they're not going to impact our lives and change what we do. And my wife and I just looked at each other, and we said nothing at the time. But when my sister left, <laughs> we had plenty to say, my wife especially, just wait till she has kids, right? And so now Lucas has Josiah, who runs up and down the aisle and brings him bulldozers while he's speaking. And it, it's awesome to see how Lucas interacts with his son. And it's, it's really beautiful, and it reinforces 
my understanding of Lucas's stellar character. The fact is, Lucas is younger than me, but he is still a spiritual mentor to me in many ways, and he is to us as well. And I want to suggest that this passage applies directly to us, not as if we're Timothy, but as if we're the church. Like, this this portion of Scripture is written to us as the church in a message that's essentially not for us, but for us secondhand. Does that make sense? So I want to suggest that this passage here is so that we recognize how important Lucas is to us and how much we need to encourage and support and believe in him and build him up because he has a calling on his life that's really, in essence, for us and greater than us. But we play an important part, not just in doing what he asks, but enabling him and freeing him and spurring him on to pull us with him to be greater than what we currently are so that we can fulfill what God's call is in our lives that we can't do on our own. We need him to call us to higher standards, but we need to push him and encourage him to pull us higher right? Like when I'm coaching cross country and I push my kids hard, I need my kids to run hard for me, but I also need to come afterward and say, coach, that, that workout just killed us. That's great. Can we have another hard workout next time so that we can win the championship, right? We don't want, we don't want to moan and complain and grumble or talk, right? behind Lucas's back. And I don't think that anybody's doing that. Like, I wouldn't get up here if I thought you were all going to start throwing rocks at me for this. But I just want to encourage you to encourage him because he is such a good man. He's so wise. Can I share just a a little message here? Um, In the process of putting together thoughts and ideas for this, um, Lucas has been sending me uh, commentaries and he's been giving me a, a little advice, and the advice um, most recently, 6.22 last night. Thank you, brother. I'm sure you will do great if you help people see what the text says and help them apply it within about 25 to 30 minutes. Last time I talked, I think I went 45 minutes, and, and I only cut off because I saw people in the back row were falling asleep I didn't want them to like fall out onto the floor and hurt themselves, so I figured I, I better wrap it up. So today I'm going to keep it shorter. Um, I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to empower you for the task. All right. So Lucas has me come up, not just to come up, but he really is clear about what he wants me to say and how he wants me to say it, to preach from the text. He gave me a great little book called Expositional Preaching, right? Because it is tempting to come up here and do something that will entertain you as opposed to something that will share the text, right? And this is Lucas's heart, is that when you come here, you get the word and you find out what scripture says so that Jesus will be glorified, right? That's really the essence of this, to look into the text because 
the text reveals Jesus. Okay? 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Okay, so that's essentially what we're doing here. The difference between preaching and teaching is maybe subtle. Teaching is what you do in class together when you're having discussions, when you're looking into the text, trying to figure out what it means. That's essentially what I'm doing today is preaching. But what I was just doing before that is preaching. Preaching is exhortation. Right? It's the encouragement. It's the standing up, not just telling you what the text says, but what to do about it, and trying to encourage us, spur us on, motivate us to do something about it. Right? And that's what he wants Timothy to be doing, right? is to devote himself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Right? So reading the Word, looking into what it says, and then motivating the people to pursue that, right? Number 14, verse 14, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. If you remember earlier in 1 Timothy, he talks about this, when the elders got together, laid hands on Timothy. And again, the purpose is not just to remind Timothy, you were called, you have a gift, but it's for the church, right? To remind them, we picked him. The elders put their hands on him. He has the Holy Spirit within him. He's God's man, right? This is a reminder to the church that he has this gift, okay? Um, again, I'm a runner, and I, I coach cross-country in, in the United States, Pacific Northwest, where I grew up. There was a really great runner who was tragically killed, became kind of a cult following. They've made some movies about him, Steve Prefontaine. And Steve Prefontaine had a, has a great quote that, we use once in a while, where he said, um, to give less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. To give less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And I don't know how you respond when you get a gift. When I was a little kid for Christmas one time, I got a gift that I didn't want. I got a box full of hangers. And what self-respecting boy even uses hangers? I threw my clothes on the floor. I think the gift was a message that I should pick my clothes up and put them in my closet. But I didn't appreciate this gift, and so I burst into tears. When you get a Christmas gift and you burst into tears, it's because I was so self-centered. I never thought about the person who gave me the gift, right? And I had an older cousin a girl who gave me the hangers. And they were pretty hangers. They were really nice hangers. And she thought it was a wonderful gift. And I burst into tears and started crying. And so did she. And she cried because I cried. And she gave me the best gift she could think of. And I was so unhappy with the gift, I cried. Like, how disrespectful is it to cry when somebody gives you a thoughtful gift? Right? That was a terrible thing to do. Of course, I was young, and I excused myself. I was, I was too young to know better. I just reacted and cried. But when you get a gift, even if you don't like the gift, you should at least honor the person who gives you the gift and say thank you. Right? My mother was very direct in teaching me that afterward. Right? But if Timothy has been given a gift by the elders, the Holy Spirit, hands laid on him, he can't sacrifice this gift. He needs to exercise it, right? He needs to use it, and that is encouragement. 
to do these things he's been called to do, to lead this congregation, but it's also a reminder to the congregation. He has a gift. He needs to exercise it, and you need to help him do that. Next, verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Okay? And again, we're working hard not to impress people, but simply because your growth that comes out of it influences. Right? Are you more persuaded by people's words or by their behavior? Right? That the way we live is going to influence our children a lot more than the things we tell them. Right? You can't can't do the do as I say, not as I do routine. We all know that that doesn't work, right? So here, Timothy's being called to pursue these things wholly so that his life has integrity to it. And we know that it does. That's why Paul called him. So again, this is a reminder to the congregation that here is a man who has shown progress in his life. Therefore, we need to encourage and follow him. 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And this is really the essence of this. It all comes down to this. The whole point is this. It all comes down to salvation. We pursue these things. We're diligent about them. We persevere because our salvation hangs in the balance. Eternity is involved in these issues. It matters because it has eternal value. It's all about glorifying Jesus, right? So even though Jesus' name doesn't appear in this passage, right, when it starts off and says, command and teach these things, this is what we're talking about, right? The gospel message of Jesus Christ, who brings us salvation. And then at the end, the reason we persevere, the reason we live with integrity, the reason we're called to holiness, and the reason that we have to encourage Lucas in leading us that direction is because our salvation hinges on it. And so does the salvation of the people that come into this congregation, or the people even that have left the congregation, the people that Lucas has had to call out because of those things like the genealogies and the wives' tales. and the, Like one of the first weeks that my wife and I were here, there was a disfellowship that happened. And Lucas was so professional and so empathetic and so good in the way that he did that really, really hard thing. We were impressed. We were like, this is a church that will teach the gospel and will do the hard things in a loving way. And so I just want to encourage you to support our pastor as much as you possibly can. Encourage him more than you even think is necessary. Have you ever had someone encourage you and you said, stop? right? We all do hard things and we think no one notices, right? But let me tell you that for the pastor, it's even more, right? That he is blessing every one of us all the time. And we may encourage him some, but I want you to know you can't overdo it, right? Just give him more love, give him more support, give him more encouragement, because our salvation hangs in the balance in all of these things. And that's why he's trying to spur us on to be what God wants us to be as a congregation. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this passage. And I pray that we would have open and willing hearts to hear your word and to pursue you diligently and with perseverance because we know that our salvation hangs in the balance and that salvation is a free gift lovingly given by the death 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.